I want to begin today with a question. How many of you grew up in a tradition or in maybe in just in your families where you celebrated the season of Advent leading up to Christmas? Let me just see a show of hands if we have any Advent celebrators in the house. That's really interesting. I did not. I grew up, how many of you did not grow up celebrating Advent? Let me see a show of hands. Okay, that's, that's interesting. I did not. I grew up in a, in a Baptist tradition, and I am so grateful for so much of what God gave me. I gained, it was in that tradition that I discovered Christ. It was in that tradition that I discovered an appreciation for Scripture and for evangelism and the power of, of a life that's been touched and changed by Jesus forever in a way that affects the here and now. So I'm incredibly grateful for that tradition that I grew up in. And it wasn't until I got out of that and I grew up and moved away from home and went to seminary that I began to learn there are a lot of other faith traditions out there that we can learn from. And it was through that experience that I first encountered Advent. Now, I would imagine some of us in the room know the word, and you remember that it is something to do with Christmas, but I thought it'd be interesting as we approach the day of Christmas, as we approach this date on the calendar for celebrating the arrival of Emmanuel, God with us. If as a church family, we just kind of dive headfirst into the subject, into the study of Advent. Now, Advent traditionally, going back centuries, has included and meant the four Sundays before Christmas Eve. So it may be anytime from November 27th or 28th all the way to December the 3rd, whatever those days may be that lead up to Christmas Eve. And as I was studying and preparing for this series that we're starting today over the next couple of weeks, I realized that as a church, we've been doing Advent for over 10 years because we've been doing Believe. How many of you have ever been to a Believe service at Lake Hills Church? It's one of the highlights on our calendar. And it was born out of my wife Julie's passion for Christmas. And I remember when she first said to me, she goes, I want to do something that, that kicks off Christmas. And I, I get so excited. I want everybody else to get excited. I said, honey, I don't know if they're ready for your level of Christmas passion, but we'll give it a shot. And it has become an amazing celebration on our calendar every single year. But it really is the marking of the beginning of our pointing ourselves, pointing our church, pointing our lives personally toward the celebration of the arrival of Jesus. And when you, when you look at the arrival of Jesus, you have to take it in its, in its historical context. If you look in the book of Matthew, chapter number one, you'll find that the, one of the lists there is a genealogy of Jesus, all the way from Abraham to Jesus. And in a moment of complete pastoral transparency, I have to tell you, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times when I get to the genealogies in the Bible, I skip them. Anybody else skip the genealogies? When you get to that place in the Bible where it says, so-and-so begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so, more of y'all need to be raising your hands. A bunch of liars in church. We don't read that stuff. We get to begat and the names are confusing and Ishmael, it's... But if you read the genealogy of Jesus and you, you push through that, you see this amazing timeline. You see 14 generations from 
from Abraham, where, where God began the promise that would culminate in Jesus. 14 generations from Abram, who became Abraham and his wife Sarah, all the way to King David, and then 14 generations from King Solomon, who was David's son, all the way to the Babylonian exile when the, when the nation of Israel was in Babylonian captivity, all the way to the birth of Jesus. You have these, these generations that are listed there, documented, sourced, what happened leading up to the birth of Jesus. And when you read that and you understand that, you start to understand Advent a little bit more completely. It becomes more than just something we used to talk about in church or something that those people talked about in church. It becomes much, much more personal. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to look in the book of Galatians. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, the Bible speaks to this subject of Advent. Now, this Galatians is the Apostle Paul who is writing around 60 or 70 A.D. Jesus' earthly ministry has completed. His, his birth, death, burial, and resurrection, and his return to heaven, all of that is done. But look at what the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4. He says, now... When the fullness of the time came, when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons, as, as children, sons and daughters of God. When the fullness of the time came, came. I wonder how many of us in the room, I should say how many of y'all in the room, have ever given birth? Can I see a show of hands if you have ever given birth? You, you know something more than I do about the fullness of the time. You, you know what that's like. You know, with, there's that first little flutter and you're kind of like, I can't believe we're going to have a baby. And then there's that, I can't believe we're going to have a baby. And the, the months... The weeks and the months proceed, and they progress. And then finally, in somewhere, and it varies from person to person, I've heard, but somewhere around month seven and a half, eight, certainly into the ninth month, that third trimester, it's like, God, whatever it takes to get this out, let's do it now. Is that, is that fairly accurate? That's what I've been told over the years. That's, that's kind of the, the fullness of time, but here Paul is talking about something even greater than that, even longer and more drawn out than that. When you think about the fullness of the time for the birth of Jesus, it's not just nine months. It's, it's actually more than 450 years and longer because there's that 450-year period that's known as the intertestamental period, the time when the Old Testament ends with the writings of the prophet Malachi before the New Testament begins with the birth of John the Baptist who was to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And, and you see this 450-year this window when Israel, the chosen people of God, are, are waiting with bated breath. They're enduring exile and slavery and captivity, and yet they're still clinging to the promises and the prophecies that God has given them that there will come a Messiah, 
There will come the chosen one of God who will bring deliverance, who will bring freedom, who will bring salvation from God. And it's against that backdrop that we encounter the birth of God's own son. The birth of God's son. In Luke chapter 2, the Bible records the story of that, that ragtag band of shepherds who were out on the hills outside of Bethlehem when all of a sudden the skies opened up and, and an army of angels showed up to declare and proclaim the birth of Jesus. Now I want you just for a second, I want you to put yourself in the sandals of those shepherds. I want you to think about what that had been like in the middle of the night. You're just going about your everyday normal routine, taking care of a bunch of smelly, stinky sheep, when all of a sudden you see in the sky an angel, a messenger from God, and the glory of God accompanying him, and he shows up and says, do not be afraid. Now, it's interesting. When you see the glory of God, the first thing the angel says is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Because the Bible says that the shepherds were terrified. This was not a normal occurrence in their world. But look at what he said in Luke chapter 2. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And so you have the, the advent. The word advent means a grand arrival, a, a coming of someone. This is the advent, the, the entering of God into the human story. When, when God, who is spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, when God put on human form, it's a staggering reality when you step back from it and you go, whoa, Advent ain't just some days on the calendar with some candles on the table. Advent is when God showed up and he was born, he was born of a woman. That, that verse in Galatians chapter 4 said it. Go back, I want to put that verse back on the screen here. In the fullness of the time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. I read something this week that I'd never couched in these terms. But when you think about Jesus, born as a baby, as a human being, which, by the way, nobody can intelligently refute. Jesus actually lived and walked on this earth. You can't argue that and be intelligent. Now, we can, we can discuss, and it takes a certain amount of faith to believe that he is the Son of God, and he is, but, but he was born. He walked on this earth. He was born of a woman. But have you ever thought about the fact that the first arms that cradled Jesus were arms that he had created? Jesus was born of a woman that he had created. The Son of God became human. He left the throne room of heaven and was born in the back of a borrowed barn in Bethlehem. Now, that, that ain't just good alliteration. That's the fact. It, the Son of God had no place to lay his head. The Son of God and his family couldn't even find a hotel room in their ancestral home of Bethlehem, the town that David came from. 
And so he was born in the back of a borrowed stall. This is, this is the advent, the arrival, the grand arrival of God in human form. And so advent tells us that, that, that there's something going on here. This is, there's something unique in the birth of this child. There's something that, that requires our attention. And if you go back to this passage in Galatians chapter 4, you see that, that when the fullness of the time came, that, that, means that, that means that the time was ripe, that, that everything had come together just as God had orchestrated and led it to happen. And by the way, it's interesting when you think about Jesus' death and resurrection, because it was through the cross that Jesus was crucified, but he was crucified there by a conspiracy of both Israelite and Roman means. This was the only moment in the course of human history ever that Israel and Rome were on the same page. It was literally at that moment in the fullness of time, when the time was ripe, God picked it and he sent his son. So Advent, first of all, tells us that this is a big deal, that we need to pay attention to this. So Advent, first of all, is anticipation. Advent means that we're anticipating something really, really big. Now, I want to ask you a question. And I'm going to ask you to be completely transparent because this is family. Your answers will be kept confidential. Nobody will ever bring it up again. How many of you in the room right now are already excited about presents that are under your tree right now? Can I just see a show of hands if you're already excited about that? Thank you for your honesty. Most of those hands that are going up are under the age of 18. I just thought I'd point that out. Man, I remember when I was a kid growing up in Houston, the, the tree would go up and mom and dad would start to put some presents under the tree and we'd kind of be like, okay, here it comes. Christmas is coming. It's kind of like, yeah, I hear that train is coming. You knew it was happening. But we waited every single year for the arrival of our grandparents when Mimi and Big Mac showed up in the driveway driving that 75 Chevy station wagon from Beaumont, Texas, they came in the door loaded down with boxes. I mean, just could barely carry them in. And that was when we knew Christmas has arrived. That was when we started to get really fired up about Christmas. My brothers and I would let them kind of put everything under the tree like they wanted it to be. We'd let them adjourn to the den of the living room and they'd go have their cider or whatever. And that was when we got under the tree and we started shaking. We started going, Gil, no, Pat, no, Mac, yes. And we started looking around. How many of you have shaken presents in the last three years? Can I just see a show of hands? You know what I'm talking about. You kind of go. And every single year, my, my aunt, Aunt Chachin, who's Aunt Catherine, but I, I call her Aunt Chachin, Aunt Chachin, when you would shake the gift and something would rattle, she would say this, oh, no, sounds like something's broken in there. And, and I was finally, I just, I realized, you know, I, I said, Aunt Chachin, you do that every year you're teasing. I was 24, but I know, I, I figured it out. <laughs> but that was, that, was that, that sense of childlike anticipation. I, I thought about the words of Jesus when he said, if any of you will not have the faith of a child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
That doesn't mean that we're immature in our faith. That means that we have that childlike anticipation, not just at Christmas, but all the time. Because we know that God shows up in our lives. That, that God shows up in, in, in our mess. I mean, I'll, I'll just tell you, I'm entirely capable and have done it more often than I'd like to admit. I'm entirely capable of making a mess in my life. Anybody else ever, ever make a mess in your life? Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> Those of you who didn't raise your hands, we have a service for you later on called Liars Anonymous. <laughs> but, but what Jesus did in that manger by, by showing up, it, it's the same thing he does in our lives, good, bad, or ugly. He shows up, and when he shows up, he brings life. He brings hope. He brings, he brings reconciliation. He brings restoration. He brings help. He brings healing. And when we understand that that's who he is and that's what he does, we start to anticipate it. We start to ex expect it, not because we deserve it, but because of who he is. It's, it's kind of like I think how we ought, to, we ought to gather for church every week. We ought to be like, when we gather together, Jesus said, where two or more are gathered, I will be there in your midst. When, when Jesus is in the room, when he's amongst us, we ought to, we ought to have a, a high degree of anticipation about that. We ought to be like, something's fixing to happen here. Not like out there, but, but here. I, I, I expect, I believe that God's going to do something with anticipation Advent is anticipation. Also, you figure out that Advent is preparation. Advent is preparation. When we really and truly anticipate God showing up, we understand that that requires some preparation. That requires us to enter his presence with a humble heart, with a, with a humility that says, you are God and I am not. And so I'm going to prepare myself. I'm going to I'm going to confess my sin, known and, and living the stuff that I know I've done wrong. I'm going to confess it, but, but I'm, also, I'm also going to be open to receiving something that God wants to do in my life. And so, God, I'm, I'm just going to, I want to, I want to be prepared for that. I want to be ready for that. Advent is preparation. As I said, when we started doing Believe about 10 years ago, I didn't even really know that much about Advent, but it has been Advent for us as a church. It's a time for, for us to prepare and start to think about the celebration of the greatest gift ever given when Jesus Christ became one of us. When, when the Bible says the word became flesh, when, when the word stepped into what we have here and, and said, I, I want to take on your form and I want to be with you, Emmanuel, God with us. And then you just kind of go, wow, wow. Julie was out of town this week traveling with her family and uh, with her family of origin. I'm her family too, but I mean like her mom and dad and sisters. And uh, I didn't want to confuse anybody. And, and she was gone for four days. And I... I I hope you don't take this wrong. We, we, have a, we have a great marriage. I love her. But that first 18 hours that she's gone, 
I get to watch whatever I want to watch. I get to eat whatever I want to eat. It's, it's actually kind of, it's actually great. I'm not going to lie. I love her and I miss her and I can't wait for her to get home. But that first 18 hours is great. I go to bed. I don't have to talk in the morning. It's, it's, but I'm going to tell you, somewhere around hour 19, 20, 22, the fun's over. It's time for Julie to come home. It's time. And so when she was landing at the airport this week, 325, I was there 30 minutes early. I carved out the afternoon. I said, I'm not getting stuck in traffic on Ben White Boulevard. I'm, I'm going I'm to be at the, I'll be early. I was prepared for the arrival. I was prepared for the grand arrival, for the coming home, because it was a big deal. I mean, four days without my bride? Four days. It was terrible. Can you imagine 450 years of waiting for God to speak back into his people? 450 years of preparing, of, of hoping, of praying for the Messiah, the promised one. That takes some preparation. And I, I understand this time of year gets crazy busy. I understand that, that it, can, it can get a little tense sometimes. I'm curious, how many of us have gotten a little uh, we'll call it frustrated. How many of us have had the holiday frustration at all so far? That's, listen, thank you for your honesty. I appreciate that. Okay, those of you who raised your hand, how many of you, your frustration was maybe with a member of your family? Let me just see it. My hand's up, by the way. Julie got frustrated with me. I apologized and we've moved on. We get, we get frustrated because we get, we get cluttered with all of the frenzy around the holidays. I, I think <clears throat> that preparation, when we remember that we're talking about the arrival of God, this is what we're about. Then even the, the, the presents and the meals and the parties, those things can actually help us as long as we keep mindful, front of brain, that we're talking about the arrival of God, when we prepare like that, that helps us to filter out a lot of the clutter, a lot of the stuff that doesn't really matter. It, it allows us to, to focus on what actually matters and, and to, to actually prepare our hearts. Say, God, show me what you want to teach me this year. Show me, show me something new about who you are. Show me something new about what you want to do in my life and through my life in this season. As I think about the fact that you gave your only son so that whoever believes in him would never die but would have everlasting life, help me to understand and to live out of that more fully, more completely than I ever have before. Make that our prayer every morning. That's, that's, that's preparation. You're, you're getting ready for the arrival. You're getting ready for the celebration of the advent, the coming of God in human form. It's preparation. But, 
but there's another, there's another layer to this. If you go back to Galatians chapter four, we're gonna put it on the screen here real quickly. The fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son so that he might redeem those who were under the law. Look at what it says. That we might receive the adoption as sons. So that we could receive this adoption as sons and daughters, as the children of God. We're, we're adopted into this family. So, so Advent is anticipation. Advent is this idea that, that something is really going on, and so it, it is worthy of preparation. But, but it's, also, it's also participation. When, when you're adopted into the family of God, you're no longer just a spectator. You're a participant. There's participation in you because God wants to do something in you as he does something through you. You participate with God. You're, you're, you're in the family. You, everybody's got a role to play. There, there's something going on in everyone's life. I loved when uh, Emily and Kaylee were talking earlier about it, these invite cards for Christmas. This, this looks like something really simple. And I, and I understand. Listen, I know some of you are thinking, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Not going to happen, preacher boy. And I understand that. I get it. But, but if I can, I would love to challenge you. I would love to invite you to, to step outside of your comfort zone for the good of somebody else. Here's what I mean by that. Almost every single one of us, almost every single one of us who is a follower of Christ became a follower of Christ because somebody invited you into it. Somebody, it might have been your parents who invited you, dragged you to church. I don't know what the origins were, but somebody took the time to invite you into the family of faith. Somebody took the time, made the effort, took the risk to say, hey, I think you would enjoy this. This has made a difference in my life. I think you would like it. So when you take a look at this card that I know you all have stacks of now, you, you take a look at that and you go, it's, it's a business card. It is. It's a, it's a little piece of paper. But it's a little piece of paper that may radically alter the trajectory of someone's life. Someone that you know who doesn't yet know how extravagantly God loves them. It, it doesn't, you don't have to get super spiritual about it. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. Just say to somebody, hey, I think you would love Christmas at my church. I would love for you to come join me. Come, come be a part of it. I'll buy you a latte before and after the service with a double pump. Whatever it takes, it's just, it's just an invite. And, and listen, I, you need to understand something. I get it. Every single time I invite somebody I know, I get nervous. I, I know. I know what that feels like. I'm kind of like, man, this could go south in a hurry any number of ways. But then I think we're talking about forever. We're talking about forever. And in a lot of cases, we're talking about people who are living today without the hope without the peace, without the comfort, without the truth, without the grace of God. Why should they have one more day? 
because I felt a little bit uncomfortable. Instead, step outside your comfort zone. Julie taught me something a few years ago that I've never forgotten. She said, you know, whenever we invite somebody to church, I get nervous every time. I said, yeah, I know, me too. She said, but I've noticed it is always worth it. It's always worth it. She goes, you know, sometimes you just got to throw the W. And I went, throw the W? What does that mean? She goes, it's, it's worth it. Everybody put up a W real quick. That, that's not three, that's a W. And, and Julie, keep, your, keep your W up. And, and Julie says, you just got you to throw the W. Tell your neighbor right now, throw the W. fullness of time, God sent forth his son. That, that, that incredible, great arrival, Advent. This is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, as Jesus kicks off his earthly ministry, he said these words. 33 years after he was born, 30 years after he was born, the time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. The time promised by God is at hand. It's not so far away that you can't get there. It's there for the taking. Because Jesus, the word became flesh. He arrived. He entered into our mess to heal us, to forgive us, to correct, to redeem us. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that, that means that this may be an amazing opportunity for you. This could be for you the first advent of your life. This could be for you the arrival as you choose to follow Christ. You choose to respond to his grace initiative. You choose to repent of your sins. That means repent is just a military term. It means a 180. It's an about face. You repent and you believe the good news. ask you if you would bow your heads just for a moment. And in this moment, I want to just ask you a very simple but very direct and pointed question. Have you experienced Advent personally? Have you personally chosen to invite Jesus to come into your life, to, to have a grand arrival in your heart and in your life and to follow him. Man, if you have, that's great. But if you haven't, or maybe you're like, I, I thought, I maybe, I don't. This may be your opportunity to do exactly that and to nail it down beyond any shadow of a doubt. We want to give you the opportunity to do that, just to, uh, pray, to pray 
a prayer, an Advent prayer, really the Advent prayer of your life, where you commit your life to Christ, confess your sins, and choose to believe the good news that Jesus arrived to be one of us, to die on the cross, taking our sin, taking the penalty and the consequence for our sin, and that he rose again from the grave with the promise of a new life for anyone who would follow him. If that's where you are this morning, then we want to invite you to pray just right where you're sitting. That prayer. Just pray silently from your heart to God's and say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. This is my Advent prayer. I ask you to come into my life. And as you do, I confess my sin, all of it. I know I don't deserve your forgiveness, but I accept it. And I will live in it, grateful for it. And I will follow you from this moment forward with everything that I have. Jesus, this is my prayer that I pray in your name. For just a moment, I want to ask you to remain with your heads bowed because it's a sacred moment. It's sacred. God moves in our lives. And if you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, and it was the first time in your life, that's a once and for all prayer. Once you pray that prayer, you're in. And that's just the beginning. And as a church, that's where we want to help. We want to help with what comes next. We want to help celebrate that moment, but we also want to help with growing from it and building on it. And so I want to ask you to do a couple of things, if you would. For those of you who just prayed that prayer, would you take out the program? Just quietly, right where you are, just take out the program that you got when you came in today and open it up. And I'm going to ask you to start just filling out the connect card that's inside there. Just fill that out with your contact information. That's only for our use around here. And you'll notice right under there is a place to indicate I committed my life to Christ this week. If you're watching online, you can just drop us an email. Just go to info at lhc.org. Let us know that this is what God's doing in your life. And what that does is it begins a conversation. It begins a dialogue that proceeds at whatever pace works for you, just like I said, so that we can help those of you who are in our service right now, if you would just tear off that connect card, you can fold it in half. And when we dismiss in just a moment, I want to ask you to hand that to one of our ushers or our hosts. Just hand that to them and know that they, that will begin that conversation. The second thing I want to ask you to do is our heads are bowed for just another moment. If you just prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment? Just hold your hand up in the air. 
your hand in the air is just a physical statement of the spiritual commitment you just made. And your hand stamps that moment in, in your life, but also in the life of this church. Because that moment in your life and others like it is exactly why we exist. And so as a church, we honor that, we celebrate that. And our family tradition is that you can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're gonna put our hands together and tell you welcome home. Welcome home.